Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel to telecommuting from home to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with Norman Bacall. Now, he's written a book called Take Charge, The Skills That Drive Professional Success, and his name is spelled with one L, B-A-C-A-L. So if you're looking up his book while we talk today, go to normanbacall, B-A-C-A-L.com, and look at his book, Take Charge. And I'm interested in this book because it talks about soft skills, and You know, Norman, we hear this term a lot thrown around like, oh, you have soft skills. We need to have soft skills. It's a soft sell, blah, 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 blah. But what does that really mean? (laughs) Welcome to today's show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And what a way to start. Uh, Soft soft skills really are the skills nobody's going to teach you in school. So it's about how you communicate, how well you speak. Can you convey a message? Uh, From my perspective, can I get you, Sandra, to trust me? And how long is it going to take? And my soft skill is my ability, apart from anything else, to listen to you, to hear what you have to say, to service you, mm-hmm. to beat your expectations in, in, in whatever way I can, and basically to sell you on me. So that ultimately, uh, I need to convince you that uh, actually that you are the most imper- important person in my life that I spend all my, all my time thinking about you and how I can serve you better. And the soft skills are the, the assortment of skills, whether it's uh, written communication or how we communicate with each other orally or how well I listen to you and your concerns um, uh, on, on an external basis. And then there's the whole internal part and I guess we'll get to this afterwards, but it's all the, the, the greatest problem people have in terms of achieving their own success is situated between their ears. Absolutely. Right. It's, it's, and I deal with it. The core center of the book deals with how do we manage our fear? Uh, how do we take on new things that we don't want to do? Why is it that the fear of trying those new things is holding us back? And until we can understand that, and until we can understand that everybody who's ever been successful had to go through that, sure, you can't move ahead. So what I try to do in as simple English as possible, because I I may be a a, a lawyer and now a retired lawyer by trade, but I always believed in plain, simple English. So what the book tries to do is not just explain it from, from a theoretical perspective, but give it, give it to you on a broken down basis, how do you do it? How do you, how do you gain these skills? Well, and what's the difference between soft skills and people skills? And maybe I'm dating myself, you know, I went to college in the late eighties, early nineties. So, you know, I might be a little out of the you know box on soft skills, but what's the difference between soft skills and people skills? Well, people skills is a component of, of soft skills. What we used to call people skills in the old day, days are really how, how do you relate to people how do you get them to like you? And as I said before, more important than anything else, how do, how do you get them to trust you? Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to succeed, whoever you're dealing with, before they'll do any, before they'll transact with you at all, 
they need to trust you. And we all know that, and we all say that, and most of us believe that. But when it comes to, okay, well, how do you actually do it? You know, it's very nice. That's why going back to people skills, very nice to say you need people skills, but what does that mean? Like, how do you do it? And not all of us, not all of us are, we, and the other thing is we have this image that uh, people with, who have people skills are naturally extroverted. You know, they're the life of the party. They're the people who always know the right thing to say. They're extraordinarily charming. And the reality is most of us aren't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not like that. No. Not, not, and, and when I started and, and I wrote a book that basically uh, takes, takes me back to when I was leaving school and I was this shy, introverted, bookish student. Like I knew lots of things in my head, but I had no idea what being a lawyer was all about. I had no idea how I was going to succeed. And I had no idea also that I could develop these kind of skills with some practice. So I watched the lawyers on television and thought, you know, going back and dating myself, you know, you had to be a, a Perry Mason to succeed or a Matlock um, or an Ally McBeal, uh, 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 but never a Lionel Hutz. Um, but what I discovered was uh, you, you're not, not, none of us are going to start that way. So how do you incrementally build your skills and how do you get over the, the fear of doing things like speaking to people? How do you, how do you storytell uh, in a way that's charming? Even, even if you don't feel you're a charming person, I'm a person who, if you were seated next to me at a, at a dinner or a dinner party 30 years ago, I would feel bad for you because I wouldn't have a clue what to say to you. And you'd probably be turning, if I was on your right, you'd be turning to your left to have a conversation first on the other side, because we all know those people. And sometimes it's- Oh, yeah, we, we both basically yeah. sit there like deaf mutes. Yeah, exactly. Because, you so know, you, 30 you years ago, I would think I have nothing to say to this person. I have nothing of any Oh work. my God, what small talk. Oh God, it's, it's going to be awful. And actually I learned some of these lessons from my wife who was just the other end of the spectrum. Like she was the person you always wanted to sit beside. And she sat me down one day and- and I put it, I actually put it in the book, like 35 years later, I'm putting this down in the book because it's a great little secret. And she said, you know what? Don't worry about making small talk. When you're sitting next to somebody who you've never met, just pretend you're the TV interviewer and you just want to know everything about them because you know what subject is everyone's favorite subject? It's themselves. So if I can get you, Sandra, talking about you and telling me all about your life, we can spend an entire evening with me mostly listening and you mostly talking. And you know what you're going to say when you leave? You'll like you probably, <laughs> I like, not only I like that guy, he's a really good guy. Uh, and, uh, but you've left knowing perhaps almost nothing about me, but you've told me your life story. And as a result, I must be a nice person because who else would you tell your life story? Right. So right. A simple little skill like that changed my life because suddenly I was sitting at these tables and then I started to apply it to business. I started sitting and meeting these people and people would walk away saying, Norm's a nice guy. They didn't know very much about me, but I I learned a whole lot about them and, and it got us through those difficult times. 
I love that. I love that. You know, and Norm, now is a really good time for me to jump in and thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Best Fiends. And, you know, when we were talking about, you know, like television shows, like you modeled some of your lawyerly behavior after some of the great television shows, I modeled a lot of my behavior after these talk shows where people would interview each other. And, you know, things have come a long way since we were kids. And, I want to share with you this great little kind of success tip that I have, and it sounds counterintuitive, but it is a top-rated mobile puzzle adventure game that you play on your phone. You can play it on your tablet. It's called Best Fiends. You can download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. I've been playing this for a couple years, and when I get stressed, when I get anxious, when I am frustrated because things aren't going the way that that I think they should. And this could be anything from waiting for my one kid after dance and the teacher keeps them 15 minutes late every night at nine o'clock and then going to the grocery store and waiting at the pharmacy for my dad's pills for like 15 minutes only to find out they haven't come in yet. These things really, you know, light me up. And so I like to play best (laughs) fiends because it's one of those games norm that It's not so hard that it's frustrating. It's got that right level of challenge. The music is not annoying. The characters are cute. It doesn't have bright colors. You're like, you know, blinding me at every point. And I will tell you, it claps for me. It goes, yay, woo! sometimes that's the only part of my day you know as kind of a tech nerd that somebody's going like yay you did a great job so if this sounds like fun to you and I've been playing it for a couple years my sisters play it I've got uh, got Frankie in Toronto got my sister Susan in Denver my kids play it it's great for 8 to 80 it's just fun it's fun it's a great brain break so download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play that's friends without the R Best Fiends friends without the R Best fiends you'll be glad you did now norm and i are talking about being a success hunter because that's what i hear you saying you're hunting for why are some people much more successful than others and you know norm i i left buffalo and went to northwestern on a full scholarship walked out with my master's degree at 21 and i knew nothing like i knew all this book stuff You know, and I end up at Disney and CBS out here in California, and it was so great, Norm, because I would just walk around and watch, and then I would copy, you know, I would copy how people would say things. I remember sitting at a meeting with Tom Hanks and a couple other really fancy people, and they're going around the table, and they're like, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Studio Ops. I'm from catering. I'm from budgeting. When they got to me, Norm, and I was so nervous when Tom Hanks asked me where I was from, I'm like, Buffalo? And then everybody (laughs) laughed because they thought it was funny. They thought I was being cute and clever and quirky. And I'm like, nope, just completely, you know, oh my gosh, it's Tom Hanks kind of thing. But what I did was I watched how everybody else acted. And even though I was nervous as a cat meeting people like Elton John, you know, some really big names, I would hold my breath and go, just count to 10. Now, I didn't listen to anything he said, but I was keeping (laughs) myself calm because I was a big modeler and I would watch how people would stand near each other. Like the people that were well-liked didn't get right up into somebody's face. They stood, you know, 10 feet away. I remember Sylvester Stallone yelling at me going, get over here, speak up. I can't hear you. 
And I'd rather have somebody draw me in than kind of get in their face. And that was like you watching the lawyers on TV. I need to learn how to navigate Hollywood, the entertainment industry. When I came from farm country, you know, I was more comfortable telling you a difference between cow's corn and people corn than I was to tell you, you know, kind of what to do with whatever my task was that I was tasked to do. And I think that's what I like about your, your book is, you know, and what that story you told about, you know, interview somebody. I'm the great deflector, like other than on my radio shows, nobody knows anything about me. So if we were sitting <laughs> together, Norm, and you'd be like, hi, how are you? I'd be like, hi, Norm. Oh, Bacall, are you related to Lauren Bacall? What an interesting spelling. Where are you from? And I would throw it all at you. And then the great thing about that, Norm, you can just sit back and listen. It's actually That's a it. lot Absolutely. easier. It's a great, great little trick. Great little trick. And it's funny, you, you talked about modeling and patterning, your, patterning yourself uh, around others. Uh, and one of the things I talk about um, is sort of the necessity to act a little bit. Sure. It's like you're, and modeling yourselves, uh, yourself after other people who have been successful is a really, really good way to start. It's, you know, I, another way to, to explain it, and I've used this uh, many times, is uh, finding your, your positive role models, the, the people who, uh, who you respect, who have done it. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm a big fan of is, and I talk about this, you know, if you want to succeed, you need to develop a network, and your network, it consists of people who are both mentors and sponsors, and mentors are people who will actively help you with your career, uh, sorry, sponsors will actively help you with your career and uh, and help you network while your mentors are going to help teach you the lessons you need and you pattern off all of them. Now, all not not all of these role models are going to be positive. You, you're going to look at some some people out there and you could probably think of half a dozen in a blink of an eye of people who you'd never want to be like. Uh, or have crossed your path or in the course of time uh, were your employer. And, you know, if you've had one of those experiences where you conclude, I would never want to act like that person. Well, sit back and think about what it is you don't like about the behavior of that person and then make sure you don't do it. And right. that can sometimes be as valid. I had one partner. He was, he was a genius tax lawyer and, and he trained me. I mean, he trained me. Uh, to be you know, very effective and he was brilliant. He might've been somewhat on the spectrum as well, but um, his, his biggest problem was he could never bring himself to call clients back on time. Mm. He never, there was never a deadline that he could ever meet, which is why he needed like pe people like me around un underneath him to make sure all that was happening. But every one of his clients used to complain about the same thing. You know, I can never get X to call me back. Right. Um, so, you know, that went into my head. Okay. I get it. You know, it, one day if I'm, if I have X's genius, which is why they stayed clients with them, uh, maybe I could do that as well. But in, until then learn from doing the opposite of what X does, which is you know, j just exactly the opposite, which is mm -hmm. get to them. Uh, I talk, in, I talk in the book about, uh, a, a mythological two-headed beast, which is called Perality. And it's the cross of perception and reality. We all tend to have this view of life and, and everything that goes on around it, us 
and that is our reality. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not necessarily the truth. It's just right. how we see the world and everybody's walking around in their own lane with their own perception. Now, if you wanna succeed in business and frankly, if you wanna succeed in relationships, what my perception is, isn't nearly as important as what your perception is. Right. So, and I tell this for, and I, I told this for anybody who ever worked for me over the years, I said, I don't care how hard, the client does not care how hard you work. No nope. client does not care that you came in on the weekends to get the work done. The client only cares about one thing. If you promise the work on Tuesday and you get it to them a day late, they're only going to be remember that you don't keep your promises. That's right. The fact that you had to spend an extra 45 hours and give up your personal time, they don't care about. Nope. But if you promise to them on, on Wednesday and you deliver it a day early, they'll always remember that too. Right. And the only thing they'll think about you at that point in time is good thoughts. So it's not about your perception. The reality is only ever about your client's perception. And, and, and if you can understand that, and what, what that does is it helps us uh, modify our own promises. Mm -hmm. So we have this tendency uh, in the world to always assume best case scenario when sure. we promise things. Sure, I'll get it to you Wednesday, no problem. Uh, the problem is that you've, you've assumed Wednesday based on everything going perfectly right. And in life, not everything goes perfectly right. So the one thing I do stress is when things start to go over, uh, going off the rail, if you've made a promise and suddenly you realize you're, you're gonna be late delivering, what's the first thing you do? And this, this, this is what I train my charges with. Again, they've been, they're not gonna teach you this in school. First thing you do, is you pick up, whether it's the phone or your yeah. communication device, and you immediately call your client or prospective client and say, listen, here's what's come up, uh, or the, what I thought was gonna be a simple problem has turned into something more complicated. What do, you, what do you want me to do? You want me to get you half the work done on the deadline, because I can do that, or do you want me to look into all these things that have come up that are delaying things? I said, and I tell the client, it's your choice. So now the client has become my partner in solving right. our problem. And the client, you, you, you've, you've put the client in control. Mm -hmm. And the difference between situation one, where I just try and muddle along on my own and situation two, where I make my client my partner in solving it. And it's not necessarily a business client. It it's, could be a personal relationship. It could be anybody you're, you're dealing with. But you know, if you don't get back to them when you say you're going to get back to them, they're going to get upset. And what happens to you, there's no question. You get really upset. I know I do. I'm, sometimes I'm sitting there. It's, you know, I've got a 2 o'clock Zoom scheduled and it's 2.05 and the other person hasn't showed up. Yep. And you know, if I'd gotten an email from them saying, listen, I may be a few minutes late, I'd be fine. But instead I'm sitting there stewing because yep. I don't have your, your game to play with to calm me down. Um. <laughs> no, but that's a big, you know, that's the thing that I learned about, you know, integrity and, and trust. And, you know, I worked in real estate for a long time in marketing, and I couldn't tell you how many times I heard real estate agent, you can trust, you know, sales with integrity. And, you know, I would sit there and, and, and watch their performance going, what does it mean to be, to have integrity? You know, 
to have integrity means if you make a promise and you can't keep that promise, like your integrity should force you to pick up that phone and have the conversation with the client. Or if you're like, my biggest thing is if there's a screw up, like I can't tell you how many how many clients have been long-term clients of mine because I was straight up about a screw up, straight up about a mistake, straight up about whatever, you know, I think you get to a point in your career where you realize if you do a hundred things a week, there's a really good chance 10% are going to go wrong despite your best efforts, you know? So to call up and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I know I promised that you could have these things by this. It's not an excuse, but this is what happened. This is what I'm willing to do. This is the credit or whatever I'm willing to give you. Is there anything else I can do for you? And a lot of times, Norman, they'll just say, Thank you for telling me the truth because everybody knows like, sorry, you can't have like 10 ants die, you know, like you can't have a family emergency and how fortuitous that the family emergency came exactly six minutes after our zoom call started. Like, really, you couldn't tell me, you know what I mean? Like you've been in business a long time. I've been in business a long time. Like you get it. And if I say to you, you know what, we need to reschedule. I'm really sorry. It's beyond my control. I had a problem with a client. And if you needed me as an emergency, I would bump this call for you. Those type of things, because you're, you're right, you're creating a partnership. Absolutely. And, and as long as you understand that, and, and coming back to my original theme, the only reason why we don't do things like that is because we're afraid. We're afraid right. of the reaction. Even though if, if the shoe was on the other foot and somebody called me and gave me a reasonable explanation enough time in advance as to why they were going to be late, I would say, of course. Okay. But the way our brains tend to work, there's this, and lawyers are probably the worst, uh, there's, there's, there's something in the back of, of our heads whispering to us, well, if you pick up the phone and make the call, you're taking a risk. So don't, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can fix this all without anybody ever finding out there's been a problem. And, and it's that, that, that voice in the back of your head that's destroying you right? <laughs> and that's holding you back. Right. Because so. some things you can't fix. And, you know, the other thing too, like when we talk about, you know, you were talking a lot about perception in my mind, like that's people's realities, you know, our thoughts create our realities. And I, I learned this when I was working in um, Beverly Hills and I had a client and I was in management. I wasn't a real estate agent, but I was in management and I had to drive up to this like multi, you know, million dollar home to tell these clients. And they were this old couple, their house had fallen out of escrow two or three times. And the real estate agent talk about integrity is like, I'm not going to go up and tell them they're like, you go. And so my boss comes in and he's like, you know, Sam, you're good with people, people like you go up and tell them this. So our agency doesn't get fired. So I'm like, fine, whatever, you know, I'm a good foot soldier. I, I go up there and I'm driving up the canyon, Norm, and I'm, I'm actually making myself sick. I'm thinking of these poor old people, <laughs> you know, it's fallen out again. It was really the fault of the agent. The agent didn't do their due diligence. And I'm, I've made this big thing in my head and I push the gate, you know, I go in the house, I drive up this thing, I get out of the car, the, the, you know, the housekeeper lets me in. I'm sitting there in this big living room with a real Marc Chagall. I almost wanted to touch it, but I didn't want to leave a fingerprint in case it was stolen and they blamed me, but I'm sitting there looking at this real Chagall 
and they come in and I'm like, you know what, I have to tell you, you know, this is what's happening. And, you know, I made myself so sick. And you know what they said, Norm? They're like, oh, right. thank God. We thought about it. We don't want to move. This is the <laughs> best news. And I'm sitting there and they're like, you look really white. You want some water? <laughs> like I had gotten my, my reality had yeah. created this whole story in my head. Like that story you said in the back of your head, well, maybe I can, maybe I can just fix this and nobody will know. Like all these stories we tell ourselves, that's mm -hmm our reality, like my reality was these people were going to get angry and yell at me. You know, the, the company's reality was these people are going to fire, you know, this agency and the, the elderly couple, their reality was like, woo, we're so excited. We decided we want to live out our years here, even though it's a big house, even though we don't need it, it's our home. It's where we raised our kids. Sure. So there's three different competing realities. And that's when I learned that we don't all think the same. You know, I think you think, no, <laughs> I don't know what you think till you tell me. And guess exactly. what? You could tell me what you think. And if I ask you the same question tomorrow, because anybody who's raised kids knows when you ask the same questions three different times, you're going to probably get three different answers because guess what? People change their mind. So your beliefs, your thoughts, they kind of are like milk. They last a couple hours, you know, on the counter <laughs> before they spoil and change. <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. It's so, uh, it's so interesting. And the other thing is, and this ties into it as well, but uh, there's none of us who isn't going to make a mistake. Right. So, but we all have this assumption that if we, that if we have to admit a mistake, it, it shows us off as horrible. Whereas in, in fact, most people see it uh, as human and you talk about your, real estate agent with integrity, you want to know who's the person who most clients are going to see as having the most integrity. It's the person who puts up his hand and says, listen, I made a mistake and I will fix it, but right. I need to tell you right away, I made this mistake. That has, you know, that's probably won me more clients than lost me clients right. uh, by probably by 10 to one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of it. it it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I had an interesting career. I'm surprised we never crossed paths in, uh, in Beverly Hills because uh, I did a lot of work in the film industry. I did a lot of film finance and worked with uh, many U.S. studios over the course of my career. I did a lot of film and television financing. In fact, I was, uh, spent a lot of time on the Warner Brothers lot. And well, I'm I was sure the, we passed each other. I yeah. just never said anything. You know, <laughs> I was there like, you know, if I moved, you'd be surprised I wasn't a post. Well, the only studio that would never hire me was Disney. I could never figure it out. Um, but uh, and I spent uh, almost 10 years on the Lionsgate board. Uh, I had, you know, helped build this uh, very large, successful Canadian law firm. Uh, and I spent my entire adult life there. And it a uh, year after I re retired from management, the firm collapsed. So what I had spent my adult life building uh, was completely gone. And that's what actually launched my writing career uh, because uh, I'd, I'd never written anything serious until my late 50s when I decided I needed to process uh, all I had learned and all I had, at least what I thought I had lost. And what I discovered was I was beginning to gain a new career. Mm -hmm. So uh, my first book was called Breakdown. It was really the, the career memoir, uh, my story, my firm's story, and uh, a story of uh, ultimately how you bounce back from serious loss. Uh, but it got me thinking, and I, I began speaking about uh, the experience on university campuses for, for the next four or five years. 
which is when I got the idea to write Take Charge. But I figured uh, there had to be more to this than just my life experience. Uh, and frankly, I thought after breakdown, people might be tired of hearing about me. So I, I went out and I began to interview successful professionals at various stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some had been out of school only three years. Some, uh, some were now sitting on corporate boards, men and women. And I decided to go all ages, all demographics, all kinds of backgrounds. And uh, so I, I interviewed uh, one man who literally got off the boat from Jamaica with only the shirt on his back as a 16 year old uh, to come live with his father in a very difficult uh, part of Toronto. And he now is a leading uh, entrepreneur in Ontario. He leads the Black North Initiative across Canada to raise awareness about uh, getting more people of color on, uh, on public company boards. Um, uh, but children of immigrants. Uh, so, and my, my goal was in this case to determine whether, you know, is it just me who's done this, which I think right. doesn't really give you a very credible book, or are there common elements that we all, all of us who have succeeded shared in common. And, uh, and that's what, that's what turned into take charge. So this is not just one person's theory. This is the, the combined experience of almost 25 uh, people who have made it. Uh, and we all, some of us, you know, one, one, of the, one of the people I interviewed, he's one of the leading Canadian uh, in-house counsel. He works for a corporation. And he barely uh, got, got through high school. Like he was, he was bottom of class high school till he figured out what kind of learning worked for him, uh, his personal charm, his background, he was raised in the projects, which turned out to be a huge asset for him in dealing with multinational companies where he had to deal with people from different backgrounds from all over the world. So uh, what was interesting to discover uh, in my own research and putting Take Charge together was the commonalities for success. And among them were, it doesn't matter how low you started, it doesn't matter what kind of adversity you faced. Uh, if you can follow what are some fairly simple principles and apply them every day, you will succeed. Absolutely. That's why I called you a success hunter. You know, you <laughs> clearly went out, you know, and, and hunted down successful people, you know, to, to find out, you know, what, what they can share. Because one of the things that I've always done and this, I think, you know, you talk about coming from humble beginnings and finding yourself, you know, like for me, it was a little Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz to go from Buffalo to Beverly Hills, you know, (laughs) and, and be around these people who were so successful, Norm. And, you know, I wasn't, I was young and I was green and I really had no worldly experience, but I knew enough to ask good questions you know, and my favorite question to ask, and it didn't matter whether it was a guy whose idea it was to lease jets to third world countries or, you know, some big shot, you know, successful Navy SEAL is what do you know that I don't, you know, and I would ask them that I'm like, okay, so tell me something that, that, you know, that you don't think I, I know, like, what do you know that I don't? And it's amazing (laughs) how, and I remember Valerie Harper, you know, she was on that TV show Rhoda and, 
And, you know, my mom loved that show and everybody loved Rhoda. And I asked her that question and I'm like, you know, what do you know that I don't? And she said, you're not going to look back on your life and think about all the money you made or all the things that you did or the awards you won. She goes, you're going to look back at places where you made a difference. And she's like, that's the things I'm most proud of. And I, you know, she was some like world of children or children of the world or something. I mean, she had some charity or something behind her. And I thought, wow, like you were on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Like you knew all these people, (laughs) you knew Ed Asner, like how cool is that? But she knew that the important thing in life was, was her contribution, whatever that contribution was, where she made a difference. And, you know, I have a whole bunch of these, you know, little ditties. And, you know, I asked a a fighter pilot one time, a very decorated fighter pilot. And I said, you know, what do you know that I don't about fear? And he said, fear isn't real. He goes, fear is just thoughts. Fear is, he said, when I was flying these missions, when I was doing this, he's like, I, anytime fears would come up, cause I'm like, were you ever afraid? You know, did you, would, were you ever, you know, cause you think about mm-hmm. these people going, you know, somehow we give them like Superman, Batman powers that they're going right. to go in somehow not human. And he's like, of course I felt afraid. He's like, but then I would look at it and go, fear is not real. Fear is just a bunch of what ifs. You know, and things like that, like these things that, you know, you're sharing in your book, Take Charge, they have the power to change people's lives. That's right. And, and it's, it's certainly something that I've learned in the last five years of lecturing about it. And uh, like the biggest lesson I learned was that I grew up, I spent six, 16 years building a firm. Uh, and, and it grew probably four times while I was there. And when I saw the collapse afterwards, and when I had to rationalize it, I, I looked at it and, and the light bulb finally went off. It's not about the bricks and mortar. It's not about the plaques on the wall behind you. Right. Or the name plaque, you know, on, on your door when you walk in that for years when you walk in, you're very proud of. It's about... Uh, it's about who you are. It's about the lessons you pass on. It's about, I picked up the phone. I'm just going to segue for a minute before I come back. I picked up the phone while I was completing Take Charge. And I called up this fellow in Montreal. I'm in Toronto now, uh, who is 88 years old. And I said, listen, if you don't mind, I'm going to include you in my book because you told me something 40 years ago that changed my life. And I, it was a direct, it was like a, the, the, com- the compass line for my entire career was based on something you told me at a dinner. And he, he, I, could, I could hear the quizzical sound coming from the other side of the room. I'm like, what did I tell you? <laughs> and, and, uh, and I reflected his advice back to him. He said, oh yeah, that's something I might've said. I said, my entire career developed from pretty much every time I was at a crossroad, I, I remembered your advice and I, and I stayed the course. Uh, and, but more important, uh, that was something I wanted to be when I grew up. Somebody who could give advice to somebody who would call me up 20 years later and say, do you remember what you told me? And I'd say to myself, not a clue. <laughs> I don't even and, remember and, and, <laughs> but you changed my life. And ultimately, and, and this, isn't, this isn't just about business, it's about life. 
Right. It's, you know, the, the greatest thing aside from our genetic material that we can pass on, pass along, uh, are, are the lessons of life that can help make other people's lives better. And if we can do that, uh, and I like to say, if I can, if, if I affect one person's life positively who picks up my book, I've succeeded. Mm-hmm. And I won't even know who that person is. And that's even better. Isn't that fun? Like, I think that's the true, you know, like the true giving, you know, when I do a lot with the Marine Corps and toys for tots, and I like to have the kids buy a toy for a kid they'll never meet. Like, imagine what started early might like, you know, imagine what, so I'm going to ask you now, Norm, the big fired question, what, (laughs) what can you tell me about becoming successful that you don't think I know? Well, after this interview, I'm not sure there's anything you don't know, no, so, no, especially with all the people you've interviewed. <laughs> um, that you may not know, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think I'd say that I'm going to pass along a piece of advice I got from my Uncle Harry. All right. My uncle, my uncle Harry uh, was one of the most famous pediatricians in Montreal. Uh, but he left medical school not wanting to be a pediatrician. He wanted to be a, an OBGYN. He wanted to deliver babies. Instead, he ended up, but he said, the, the opportunity came to me in pediatrics. I took it. Now, he won the Order of the British Empire wow. for inoculating troops, leaving Canada for the World War II theater. Um, as, and I, and I, and I will point that only because of, because of the, the, the note about inoculations and COVID yeah, and everything it else. It's interesting. So he was way ahead of his time, but he said to me, uh, and I was only 19 at the time, so I couldn't really appreciate it. He said, Norm, your career is going to be a river mm-hmm. and you have a choice. You can either get in the boat because you know exactly where you want to steer that boat. And if you're steering it against the current, you're going to be expending a lot of energy and you may never get there. If on the other hand, you get in the boat and just let it take you along, you will find out that there will be opportunities that you can grab at along the way, expend a lot less energy and lead a much happier life. He said, it's your choice. Um, a few weeks later, I was staring down. A, I was in. I was in a pre-med program at McGill. I was staring down a microscope, looking for a fungus. Now I'd done. You know, if if you're if you've ever done science, you've been to high school. You know, it's it's the routine, and then you have to draw it. Yep. And and but I'm I'm in this line, and there are people lined up behind me. And I've been doing this for years, but I just I can't find this, the fungus on the slide. And I start to sweat profusely. And it may only be 15 or 20 seconds that have gone by, but it feels like half a lifetime. And I know there are people behind me and I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting more and more upset. Finally, I slide the slide into the right position and I find the fungus. And I look down and I start drawing it. And, I, and, and this, the voice in the back of my head is now very loud. It's saying, you don't want to be in pre-med. This isn't what you want to do with your life. I closed my notebook. I walked out of the lab to my course advisor's office. 
I said, what else, what, what other things could I do in my life? And she said, maybe you want to take a law course and just see if that interests you. And I was set on my way. My entire career came out of not being able to find a fungus at the bottom of the, the microscope. So little did I realize at the time that I was taking Uncle Harry's advice. And But for the rest of my career, that's kind of the way I did it. Mm -hmm. I so love that. I had... And you know what, Norm? No, I did not know that. And I, <laughs> I love it. And you made it my post-its. I have this wall of post-its. All right. <laughs> and I love the boat story because your career is going to be a river and you can either go with the flow or you can fight against it. And there'll be opportunities abound when you go with the flow. I really believe that, you know, and I believe that it's also much more fun. Oh, you know? absolutely. It's fun. We get to, we wouldn't be here today if I had stayed in advertising and, you know, corporate America and you had stayed in, the you know, like the law arena. We never would have met. We never would have come together to Absolutely. talk about your take charge book. Now, take charge, you guys. It's a it's a it's around 200 pages. So it's a it's a to me from a business book. That's a fairly easy read. You can get the audio version on iTunes. You can check on Audible. It's coming soon. And Norm, where else can people? People buy it uh, it's on Amazon uh, it's uh, pretty much on most of uh, the sites where you can pick up ebooks uh, but the paperbacks also available uh, uh, from from Amazon I'm not sure if it's on Barnes and Noble um, but Amazon's probably the easiest place to get it you can also order it you want a signed copy just uh, go onto my website and order one and I'll make a really beautiful inscription for you that that one day you could say, that was good advice. That was good advice. I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, you guys check out normanbacall.com. That's spelled N-O-R-M-A-N-B-A-C-A-L.com, normanbacall.com. His book is called Take Charge, The Skills That Drive Professional Success. All right, you guys check out the game Best Fiends. Go ahead and download it from the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends will be back again next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.